الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لا Oh, uh-huh. 
والوزن يومئذ الحق فمن ثقلت موازينه فأولئك هم المفلحون ومن خفت موازينه فأولئك ولقد مكناكم في الأرض وجعلنا لكم فيها معيش قليلا معيش قليلا ما ولقد خلقناكم ثم صورناكم ثم قلنا للملائكة اسجدوا اسجدوا لآدم فسجدوا إلا إبليس إلا Oh, uh-huh.
وقد خاب من دساها كذبت ثمود بطغواها إذ فَكَذَّبُوهُ فَعَقَرُوهَا فَذَمْدَمَ عَلَيْهِمْ رَبُّهُمْ بِذَنْبِهِمْ فَسَوَّاهَا وَلَا Oh. 
Ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah Ashhadu anna Muhammadar Except Allah, the Creator and Sustainer of the heavens and the earth, and they be witness of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is his final message. My dear brothers, my dear sisters, uh, today I want to address a very important topic um, that has a lot to do with our consciousness of ourselves, and ultimately how we treat each other, but in a specific category of interaction. We're keenly aware of the stereotypes uh, that that assault our faith day and night and mainstream media 
and amongst the public as well, and they cover a, a range of issues, namely, you know, their associations with terrorism, extremism, down to one of those sensitive issues, the treatment of women. And we constantly hear about women being oppressed in Islam, about Islam being the reason why Muslim women are so marginalized. We, you know, the image of a Muslim woman, if you ask a common person on the street because of what they hear day and night is, is that she's someone who is so passive, submissive, operates behind the veil. She's invisible, she has no identity. She's there to serve the man, right? She's subservient. We know the we know those stereotypes very well, and we you know they cause us a great deal of, of anger, frustration, because we want to tell the story, right? We want to get out and tell the story that is contrary to the story that we constantly you know that we constantly hear, and we have this frustration. I wanted to put yourself in the shoes of our young people. How do they respond to such vicious attacks? And what if those images and stigmas? This portrayal of the woman is actually real for them. Because they hear these attacks, but then they look internally within their homes and within our culture, and they find nothing but an affirmation of those stereotypes. Isn't it true? How often does that happen? But because we don't hear young people talk to us, we think all is okay, that they're equally upset about those stereotypes. How about the possibility that they will end up internalizing those stereotypes? Actually internalizing that you are submissive, you are subservient, you are voiceless, and your role is limited. Because the story they hear outside sometimes coincides with the reality inside. How often do I see young sisters actually being mistreated by their, you know, the, the brothers in the community, the young brothers in the community. This is not only about among the adults, but young people. You see, they see their parents playing favorites in the house, preferring the boy over the girl. And we know this is very prominent in our culture. Let's not make pretenses about this, or deny it. They see that, that happening, and they see their own brothers mistreating them and saying, stay, stay, stick to your place, woman, because your role is limited, because that's how they've seen their parents treat the girl. And they end up embodying the same attitude towards the girls. And believe it or not, brothers and sisters, I've dealt with so many young women, and I'm horrified by the fact that they've internalized this reality, internalized these images of themselves as being very limited. Many of us adults love to get outside and say, hey, Islam empowered women. Islam empowered women. We want to tell everybody who doesn't know much about our faith and culture that Islam does not see women in a negative way. It is empowered women. But then deep inside, perhaps, we've adopted the same limiting attitudes towards women. And we're not doing much to change the reality on the ground. Isn't that called hypocrisy? Isn't that called a double standard? That we voice something on the outside, but inside we maintain the same attitudes? I want to ask you today to show you how deep of a problem this is about a missing narrative in our heads. Many of us might disagree on what a woman's role in Islam is, right, in a home. And we'll, we'll get into vicious debates about it. No, Islam says this. No, Allah said that. No, Prophet Muhammad this, it said that. And we find ourselves in this agreement, but perhaps to reinforce a, a certain hierarchy. Right? And maybe our understanding of history is disjointed and missing a piece of the narrative. Today, I want to ask you a question to just, to just illustrate to you how far we are from the real narrative. Because, brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, evidence 
historical proofs provide the answers. We don't need to debate about verses, about hadith, the evidence, the proof of what these hadiths and verses are illustrated in history. Plain and simple. And I hope that we're not going to debate history from the, from the get-go, from the early parts of Islam. So let me begin with a simple question. If I were to ask you today, everybody here, you have to shout out an answer, but in your head. Name for me two to three, not more, two to three Muslim heroines Muslim women leaders, um, military leaders, political, social, poets, artists, right, orators, scholars of Islam, other than Khadija and Aisha, other than those, other than the women companions of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we constantly go to Khadija, Aisha, Fatima, and then we, we say, oops, I don't know much more. If I were to ask you that question, would you be able to name right away, instantaneously, two to three, Muslim heroines, Muslim female figures that have played a significant part in the history of Islam, would you be able to identify them? Yes. Alhamdulillah, we hear more from sisters. Yes. Alhamdulillah. I, I, may Allah bless you, sisters. Yes. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. I'm going to hear lots of examples, but I challenge you that many of us might stop there at the Sahabiyah, at the companions of Prophet Muhammad. And if I were to tell you, name for me in the 8th century, 9th century, 10th century, 11th, and 12th, Probably, I would say less than 1% of this crowd will be able to give me an answer. So we're the same parents who don't know much about this and think they're invisible because all they have done in history is serve men. When we think of Muslim women and the definition of a good Muslim woman, we think of her as a sister, mother, daughter of great people who is always there for them to make them great people. Isn't it true? So maybe that's our perception of them. I'm going to challenge that today from history. I'm going to show you how it is our ignorance of the prominent role of these women in history that has shaped our contemporary images of Muslim, beginning with Muslims themselves, before we talk about outsiders. And our, it's our Muslim sisters that are facing, wallahi, the greatest troubles outside. The number one target of vicious physical attacks are not men, Muslim men. They're Muslim women because they're easily identifiable as, you know, you know, uh, among the, to be among the faithful, to be among the, those subscribing to the faith. So they're constantly being attacked and assaulted. And we're not even honoring them enough, nor are we providing with our children a piece of the history of the story. So I want to tell you today as parents, if we don't tell our kids stories and treat them in a manner consistent with those stories, how do we expect our children to grow up to be healthy enough to sustain their faith, to be proud? to be proud because most of them are not proud of this faith. Or not proud of the culture that treats them in a discriminatory fashion. And they're sick and tired of it. And then they resort to other ways and means to fulfill themselves. And then we get angry as parents. Today I'm challenging those notions, brothers and sisters, by citing a few examples from history. What do they show these examples? They show us Muslim women from the get-go, from the seventh and eighth centuries, from the time that Islam has emerged as being prominent figures in society. Prominent figures who have served not just as students, but as propagators and as custodians of knowledge. That you'll be shocked that many of the well-known Muslim jurists, including Imam Malik, Imam Shafi, I've actually learned from women. SubhanAllah, I'll name some of them for you today, because most of us are not aware. We, don't even, we cannot even identify one person except for those Sahabiyah, those companions of Prophet Muhammad 
We're going to see examples of Muslim orators, eloquent people, artists, calligraphers, military leaders. Can you name one Muslim woman that has actually not served in battle to just nurse men, not to treat the wounds, but also to serve as a knight, as a warrior? This happened from the time of Prophet Muhammad How often do we hear of these stories? You'll be shocked. Contemporary history books written by Muslims in the last two centuries have betrayed the history of Islam. Early history books of Muslims have actually cited the names of Muslim women who have done this. It is our contemporary history that is poor and bankrupt. Bankrupt. All times were not like this. We're not like this. We'll see them literally playing a prominent role in every aspect of life, challenging the definition of a woman's role being limited to the house, which is really what we understand Muslim, good Muslim women to be. Prophet Muhammad challenged it. The story that emerges from reading these stories, from reading this history, is that women were partners of men, not just the servants of men. They were equal partners in every aspect of life, of not just studying privately Islam, but producing knowledge of Islam, teaching men publicly, not just as a private endeavor. Right now, in many messages, we hear and see women who are not able to ask Imam the Imam a question except behind the veil. Right now, I'll name for you local institutions, probably most of them, where they cannot do that because it, it, it defies the image of a good Muslim woman. My answers are not from my whims and desires. They're derived out of the history of Islam, out of the history of Islam, brothers and sisters. We see them playing prominent role politically, economically, socially, artistically, even in military campaigns. We see them producing an impact and a legacy on Islam, shaping Islam from the very beginning. Let me begin by sharing with you something about Islam. When we speak of Islam and women, even as you try to answer people, this has to be anchored in your consciousness has to be anchored in your conscience. Let me tell you what Allah says. The original narrative of Islam, contrary, for example, to the Christian narrative, that depicts Hawa, Eve, as being what? Guilty of the sin of Adam. Isn't it true? So it's already a view, a perspective, that looks at woman as lesser than man. And she's blamed for Adam eating from the tree. Isn't it true? Go visit the scriptures and the Christian views on woman. I always tell them, go back to your scriptures and see how you're portraying woman. You're portraying Eve, the mother of all, as being lesser than Adam, as being guilty. She's the evil one. She's the malicious one who went after him, seduced him, right? And got him to eat from the tree for Adam. If it wasn't for his bad wife, he wouldn't have done this. What is the narrative of Islam? Go to Surah Al-Baqarah. Go to Surah Al-A'raf, brothers and sisters. You see them depicted as equals. Both were created in honor by Allah. Allah talks to them both, both, when he put him in Jannah. He talked to them both to enjoy Jannah. He talked to them both about their honor and nobility. And then they both sinned. Allah describes it vividly in the Quran, that they both listened to the shaitan, that they both akala, who ate from the tree, and that they both became naked, and that they both sought Allah's mercy and repented, and that they both were honored, and that they were both put on earth with the guidance of Allah. How different is that narrative? And imagine if we understand 
gender and Muslim, woman and man in the, from that perspective and in that context, it automatically changes everything. It is Islam that tells us that paradise lies underneath the feet of a woman, of a mother. Isn't it amazing? It is Islam that tells the father and the mother who are parents, because most of us might get upset when we have female daughters, right? Female children, excuse me. And many of us just prefer boys over girls. So we're disappointed when we hear of a pregnancy producing a girl. This is so pervasive. We know it. And here's Prophet Muhammad tell you what Islam mm -hmm. is and what it does for a woman, telling you that you'll go to Jannah if you raise even one girl. One girl, well, he never said a man. Not that you are not going to get your reward for, for treating your boys well, but he has elevated the role of the place of a woman because of understanding how abusive we are towards women. This is the enlightenment of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu is understand he challenges status quo about them. That's why even women flocked to his aid and surrounded him. It is Islam that tells us, brothers and sisters, that indeed a litmus test of whether a, a human being's faith is sound is to see how they treat their wives, wives specifically. So if you want to understand how good you are, see how you treat your spouse, your wife. Who told us this Prophet Muhammad? That's Islam perspective on women. But what's the evidence of this? We can be citing all kinds of things in our lives and making claims that, oh, Islam loves women, and Prophet said this and this. Can you now cite examples? Can you actually look at historical evidence that showed how this was translated into reality right away? That's where I feel that many of us will, will find no answers. And many of us are not even taking the power ourselves to go read a book so we can tell our girls a story that makes them understand who they are, that they're not limited, that they need to be women of ambition, that there's no limit to their growth and their potential because Allah created them and honored them. And that's the story in the Quran. What do we find, brothers and sisters, within the life of Prophet Muhammad isn't it true? We find his, his wife, his first wife, that he loved, he chose. Khadija, brothers and sisters, somebody that the Prophet chose as a wife. We find her to be a businesswoman. Did he ever feel threatened by that? Never. He actually worked for her. Imagine now a man working for a woman, and, and then she actually proposes to you. Like you say, hey, no, 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 me? Marry someone who's, in, who's my boss? Like this is like the day of judgment happening, right? <laughs> day of judgment, like how oh, my honor, my dignity, my, my manlyhood. She'll have a, 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 you know, a, you know something on, you know, on me, and you know, how can I actually even like function in life? Prophet Muhammad is the best. Create creature of Allah, saying, oh, gladly, delightfully, I'll, I'll, I'll marry you, right? He was stunned, and here's a woman courageous enough. Did he ever say, you're not, you're not, you're not modest. How can you talk to a man? You propose to me too? What kind of a woman is this? Do I really want to marry a woman that actually dares to propose to a man? And this is happening 1,400 years ago. She becomes not only his pillar of support and partner, she becomes his, becomes his counselor in life. Counselor in life. That's why he adored her and swore by her name after her death. And he used to have tears and be witness talking about Khadija in public. How many of us would actually mention our wives' names in public? This is the culture of Arabia 1400 years ago. Honoring her, talking favorably about her and her relatives in public, saying no one is like her. Who, which man would do this in, the, in these days? Muslim or non-Muslim? 
right? This is Prophet Muhammad Aisha's his other wife. What do we know about Aisha? Brothers and sisters, she wasn't just a student of Prophet Muhammad Aisha was the first of the scholars of Islam. She's one of those who reported, you know, there's a group of six, six narrators of hadith who reported more than a thousand hadith. She reported 2,210. 2210 hadith of the Prophet. So Aisha is one of the reasons why we understand Islam now. Why we understand Islam. Khadija becomes the first Muslim in Islam. The first Muslim. Why would Allah choose the first Muslim to be a woman? To shape the story in our heads. That they're there shaping this history, shaping this community, shaping our understanding, and their role is not to be diminished. Aisha, the narrative hadith, taught men. How many of us know this? Did you know that the companions, when they got confused about a legal matter, and they wanted a fatwa, you know why they would go for a fatwa? Aisha. Did somebody say, Aib? Shame? Did she say shame while you're talking to the wife of Prophet Muhammad No, absolutely not. Publicly, she would address those, 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 those answers. Publicly, she would teach them, and they would flock around her to learn, brothers and sisters. This is Aisha, radiallahu anha, who is also known for her remarkable oratory and eloquence well known in Arabia for her artistry her, her remarkable intelligence how many of us would know these stories how many of us and I'm gonna stick around that era for now because we still believe that a woman's place is at home and there's no dishonor being at home but we cannot limit she has a role inside and outside depending on her capacities how many of us would know that Omar ibn al-Khattab, the great frightening Omar ibn al-Khattab, what's his perspective on women? Who are his consultants? How many of us heard of Ash-Shifa bin Abdullah? Raise your hand. Shifa bin Abdullah. Do you know who Shifa bin Abdullah? Brothers and sisters, this is a woman that Omar ibn al-Khattab appointed as the head of commerce. She was the inspector general of the market. She was the enforcer of fraud protection. Enforces of fraud protection. She used to go out into the market to see who's cheating. Can you imagine the types of problems she ran into? She has to deal with men in the market, in the market, owners of companies, so to speak, who are cheating and defrauding their customers. And it was reported she used to walk with a whip. And if she finds a man cheating in front of her eyes, she'll whip him. What kind of a woman is this? Who appointed her again? Omar ibn al Khattab. Why did he pick her? She's qualified. Did she say, oh, so woman, she's weak, limited, oh, aib, right? Only men can occupy these positions. No. Did he just do this in Medina? This was in Medina. It turns out in Mecca, he hired another woman of equal prowess and talent. Her name is Samra bint Nuhayt al-Asadiyya. She also appointed her as the market inspector in Mecca. As the market inspector in Mecca. Same position, didn't go to a man, he went for the most qualified individuals. How many of us would even know about Samra or about Ashifa? But we hear about Omar, about Ali, right? About Zayd, about Khalid ibn Walid. But do we hear about this? What happens if these pieces of the narrative are missing from our heads? We have what we have nowadays. Exactly what we have nowadays. This is a part of our history and it was always recorded there. But we made them invisible. We don't want to hear their stories. We don't want to make an effort. How many of us, brothers and sisters, know that women, as I said earlier, were not just consumers of knowledge, not engaged in learning Islam as a private affair? 
but they were custodians of knowledge. Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, one of the prominent hadith scholars, prominent hadith scholars. You go open the book, Fath al-Bari, commentary on Bukhari, he's the author, well-known, well-recognized in history, one of the most prominent and eminent. In one of his references, it's called al-Durar al-Karima, al-Durar al-Karima, the honored or uh, noble jewels, his book. It, it cites biographies. He listed 170 prominent women scholars by name from the 8th century. That's the 700s. That's like a few decades after the Prophet Muhammad He listed 170 cited biographical, biographical notices of their names and then saying that some of them were acknowledged as being better than men, as scholars, more precise, more thorough. These were women scholars who collected hadith, brothers and sisters, who even traveled to pursue hadith. In the 8th century, traveling. Can you imagine many of us, what would happen if our daughters say, I want to go travel to learn? Right? It doesn't mean we don't protect our sisters or our daughters. We have to. It's our duty. But how do we feel about them learning and becoming mm -hmm. scholars? Do we hear, brothers and sisters, about Umhani Maryam, one of those scholars he cited in his book, who studied theology, faith, fiqh, language, and was noted, brothers and sisters, to be among the best of scholars in her era. That men came to study under her. She traveled to other lands, other lands to pursue hadith. And she narrated so many ahadith. How many of his brothers and sisters would hear Fatima, and, you know, excuse me, of Aisha bin Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas. Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas is a, is a companion. His daughter, her name is Aisha. She taught Imam Malik. How many of us have heard of a Sayyidina Nafisa? Sayyidina Nafisa turns out to be one of the most prominent women scholars who taught who? Ash-Shafi'i. Ash-Shafi'i, the prominent jurist. Do we know about his teachers? Do we know that Sayyidina Nafisa was someone he would go to to consult with and learn from? Humbly, that other men came to learn from her? These are things taking place in public institutions, not as private affairs once again. Brothers and sisters, the story goes on and on about the incredible impact of these Muslim women. Why am I sharing some of these examples? To tell you, brothers and sisters, that how we look at ourselves today, our understanding of gender and women, is defined ultimately by the story we have. And if the story is deficient, we're going to find deficiency in the way we see them and treat them. We ask Allah to humble us, to open our minds and hearts to true knowledge, and to be sincere in serving Allah in honoring our mothers, sisters, and daughters. Let me share a few more examples. My hope and I pray that you go home and look them up. Look up some of these names. Because ultimately, we as parents have to tell the story to our daughters and boys as well. So that they see their sisters and other women that share their faith as, as, as being contributors, as partners, not as lesser beings. Not as lesser beings. Let me tell you the story, brothers and sisters, of Muslim warriors. What is your perspective how to tell you a woman serving in battle? How many of us would say, well, if, if I'm in the masjid, can I talk to an imam? And I have to sit behind the veil. Imagine being in battle. Like, you know what, have a woman, what somebody has to do? Well, even women, we say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't even want to get into a fight, let alone be in a battle. Can you imagine what you have to do in a battle? Can you say, well, haram, I can't come near you? This is battle where people are going to have to go after each other's necks. 
for survival. We hear at the time of Prophet Muhammad about Nusayba bin Ka'b al-Ansariya. How many people went to Umrah and Hajj and saw the, the, the scene of battle of Bahud and the mountain of the Rumah? You look and I showed it to people who were with us. I showed them a hole in the mountain where the Prophet hid when the assault on him became intense and he was injured and thrown into a ditch and, and received an injury in his face. You know who was defending him? A woman. Her name is Nusayba bin Ka'b al-Ansariya. She brought us took up arms with her sword and was serving as a shield around the body of Prophet Muhammad as arrows came to him, serving with her body to shield him. Can you imagine the amount of wounds she had to sustain? Did she say, hey men, go defend him, I'll stay behind? It's unbecoming of a woman to do this? It's haram and aib? No! Whatever it took that the Prophet himself said, wherever I looked in the battle of Uhud, wherever I looked in the heat of the battle, right and left, I saw her, Nusayba, fighting for me. Did he say haram? Go back home? Go attend to your children? This is what he said? No, brothers and sisters. This is historic. This is not to be denied. Absolutely not. How many of us heard of Khawla bint al-Azwar? You know when you think of knights, warriors, like you think of Khalid al walid and other historic figures, even non-Muslim, of serious warriors. How many of us heard of a woman knight? Muslim woman knight with an armor and a spear and a sword going to fight men. Khawla turns out to be one of those Muslim warriors. Go read about her, Khawla bint al-Azwar. What do we know about her? I'm going to cite to you what they say about her in the history books. First of all, she had incredible feats in battles to liberate Syria and Palestine from the Crusaders. Probably the prominent role, even under Khalid ibn Walid, right? And, and she was a powerful woman who had no fear. Literally, men used to be scared of her. And it was reported that in one of the battles, after she left, she found a group of Muslim soldiers coming back retreating. She stood in their path with other women, and they all looked at her and the other woman, and they got terrified. She says, go back. And they all go, went back and saying, we prefer to meet the enemy than to meet Khawla, out of fear of her. Out of fear of her. This is Khawla. Go read about her and tell our daughters these stories. What else do we know about her? We hear, brothers and sisters, that in one of the battles near Jerusalem, in Palestine, modern-day Palestine, her own brother was captured. His name is Bilal. He was captured in the battle. And she learned that she was fighting, and she learned that her brother got captured. You know what she did? She went and put on a male's dress, a knight's robe and dress and a shield, covered her face so that she's not recognized as a woman when she goes into the heart of the enemy lines. And it's reported that she, put, she, she went on the horse with her spear and her sword, drove through the ranks of the Romans, and wreaked havoc. Wreaked havoc that... Muslim soldiers, including Khalid al and, and many of the Muslim soldiers thought she was Khalid ibn al-Walid when they saw what she was doing in and out of the army and as she left, her sword was seen dripping blood and then she would go back in, taking as many men as she can and then re-emerging, all looking for her brother Khalid al-Walid, they thought it was Khalid al-Walid, then Khalid ibn walid surfaced and he said, who's that? and everybody said, we thought it was you and they kept watching, brothers and sisters, and then he said, go defend her, let's go in as one man. And they went into the battle to fight with her, to protect her. After the army retreated, the Roman army retreated, they came back and they wanted to know who this person was. They surrounded her, thinking she was a man. And they said, can you, who are you? Who are you? She refused to uh, uh, reveal her identity. 
and to uncover her face. And she tried to escape. It didn't work. After, after many, many efforts to escape, and she couldn't, she finally looked at Khalid and spoke. And that's the first time he heard her spoke. And she said, oh, leader of the righteous, I am nothing but a simple woman whose heart, whose heart was, was, was upset and wounded because I lost my brother. I'm your simple servant. He was blown away, brothers and sisters, to discover that this is Khawla. And, and he learned in the conversation about her brother, and then he ordered the whole army to go in with her to chase the retreaters to find her brother. And they went all the way back to, to their headquarters, brothers and sisters, according to the story of this battle. And they fought fiercely until they liberated all the prisoners. This is Khawla. How many of us know about Khawla? How many of us know about Fatima al-Fihri? A Moroccan historic figure, woman who launched the first university in the world. First university in the world in Morocco right now, Jamiat al-Qarawiyin, built by a woman. And it's recognized and, and known, a known university. How many of us would know this, brothers and sisters? The stories go on and on, brothers and sisters. We hear of Shajarat al-Dur, of Sitt al-Mulk, who are prominent leaders. Sitt al-Mulk, brothers and sisters, was the regent of Egypt. And according to the story, during the 11th century, she virtually ran the affairs of the empire. Ran the affairs of the empire. Or Shajarat al-Dur, brothers and sisters, who was a military leader. In the 13th century, she led multiple campaigns against the crusaders and was ultimately captured by the French king. SubhanAllah. These are Muslim women. How many of us would know anything about them? Let me conclude, brothers and sisters. I shared with you snippets, bits and pieces about our history that has been missing. The history that we cannot convey to our children because we ourselves don't know. And it's one thing to make claims outside and then to live a different life inside. This is real, brothers and sisters. The attacks on our faith are real. Our kids are losing their faith, right? And we're playing favorites. And we ourselves hold limiting views. And we do see our sisters and mothers and daughters in a limited fashion. Many of us may not, but many do. And we're seeing the cultural manifestations of this, but I'm here to tell you this is serious. This is absolutely serious. And it's incumbent upon us to go re-examine this history and stop debating and arguing. This is not an invitation to be rebellious by men or women. We have to be respectful of one another, honor and serve one another, just as the woman around Prophet Muhammad did, and as the men around those women have done. Honoring, partnering as much as possible. Doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. We need to apologize. Learn and tell the story. We ask Allah to humble us, to learn and seek knowledge for the sake of Allah. We ask Allah to honor our sisters who have been going through so much hardship and abuse. We ask Allah to restore them and heal them, to heal our parents, to heal our children, to sustain them with faith, to nourish their faith, that they're able to withstand the attacks on our and assaults on our faith. We ask Allah to guide us to the straight path, to join us with Prophet Muhammad to make us among those who play a prominent role in constructing our communities, in paying contributions to our communities, sisters and brothers along the side of one another. Allahumma ghfir lana wa rahamna wa afu anna wa tawalla amrana wa ahsan khalasana. Allahumma ghfir lana ya rabbal alameen wa rahamna bi rahmatin tughnina biha an rahmatin azwa. Wa salli lahum ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa akhmi salam. Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah, Hayya ala salati, Hayya ala al-falah, Qad qamati al-salati, Qad qamati al-salati, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, La ilaha illallah. Salam. Sushnu.
الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين إهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا سبح بحمد ربك واستغفره إنه كان توابا الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمد Oh, <laughs> 
Sisters, inshallah, you're well. Yes, alhamdulillah. May Allah accept from you, inshallah, and uh, keep you strong, inshallah, and well to be in your children and spouses and parents and families. Allahumma ameen. A couple of announcements, inshallah. First, I'm very excited, alhamdulillah, to announce that uh, uh, by the blessings of Allah, we're going to, inshallah, we're planned and, 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 and we're going to have our second annual retreat, inshallah. Second annual ICCP retreat, September 28th, 29th, and 30th. Starting inshallah from a Friday night, you know, into Sunday inshallah. This, those who've been with us last year, understand how much fun that was for the family. This is a camp, brothers and sisters, that is going to inshallah be there as an opportunity to inshallah retreat spiritually. Right? We need it in the midst of all the problems that we see. You need time with your family, with your community members. It's a time for bonding, for fun, for entertainment, for eating together, and inshallah spending time with one another. Sign up. Now before it's too late, inshallah, because we have limited capacity, limited capacity, and, and there is an early bird, inshallah, discounted, I believe, price uh, if you sign up by a certain date. Forms are outside. Don't take this, uh, kind of take the form and just throw it at home. I'm telling you, it's going to fill up. We cannot exceed the capacity of the camp. It's going to be held at the same place, Miss Center, inshallah, in Rockville, so that inshallah it's close to your homes. Uh, and inshallah, you don't have to travel far, but I'm inviting you to sign up now before it's too late. Inshallah, go outside, pick up a form, inshallah. Make sure you fill it out completely with credit card information, inshallah. We're looking forward to all of, you know, to this, uh, inshallah, event and spending time with one another. May Allah Azza bless you. Second, inshallah, announcement. This Sunday, inshallah, we'll resume uh, with our weekly Quran halaq, inshallah. And, and, and if you've missed the rest, don't this this Sunday, because I'm going to talk about Ayat al-Kursi in the context of, of Surah Al-Baqarah, the most, the greatest verse in the Qur'an. Great one verse. Greatest verse in the Qur'an, we're going to reflect on it and see how it impacts our lives. And well, we need to learn that verse and fall in love with it. Sunday morning, inshallah, at 5 o'clock, inshallah, Fajr. And then we follow that up with the halaqah, barakallah, inshallah. 5.15, inshallah, is Fajr. Immediately after, inshallah, we do the halaqah and we eat uh, breakfast together. Barakallah, I'll see you, inshallah. As-salamu alaykum.